0: Welcome back, everyone, to Maximize Your Influence. This is episode 299. Stay tuned for 300 because we have some surprises, some giveaways to give to you for being loyal listeners to Maximize Your Influence. Appreciate your support and the feedback. And, of course, you can always send me an email at Kurt, K-U-R-T, at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. And when I use your email on the show, you get free access to InfluenceUniversity.com. Also, go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com for everything you need, from the free book Maximum Influence, to your persuasion IQ test, to other training I am doing. Also, YouTube this week, I'll be going over how to know if someone's lying. YouTube channels Maximize Your Influence, last week was how to know someone's lying verbal cues, this week's the non-verbal cues, not so you can become a better liar, so you can detect deception. Shout out to Denver, just got back from there, stayed at a... Hotel on 16th Street, of all places. That's the place that I think every city has, but in Denver, it's closed off to most traffic. That's where you meet all the interesting, persuasive, influential, a lot of different styles, personalities, all in one spot. So if you want to learn about persuasion and people, that might be a good place to go observe. So did Negotiation Training in Denver. Shout out to you guys. Learned some great tools and techniques, because again, remember, negotiation's a lot different than persuasion. There's some overlap, but they're very different tools. So let's kick things off with a blinja. Don't, don't, don't! If you haven't been around for a while, every week we do a persuasion blunder or persuasion ninja. I'm calling this a blinja because I'm not sure you get to decide if this is really good, a ninja, or it's a blunder. So it was an Uber. They were listening to the radio, and I don't know if it was a commercial or part of the show. They came on and said. The coastal elites versus real Americans. I'm like, wow, coastal elites? I've never even heard that before. Versus real Americans? And then the next step was coastal elites versus rural America. I did a little Google search there. That's a real thing. I guess there's a big rift between the coastal elites and the real Americans or the rural Americans. I guess they live in the middle America. reason I bring this up it's verbal packaging. And verbal packaging is very important because if you use the wrong word... Or it gets on the radar, could trigger the wrong emotion. And Coastal Elite's obviously a very negative thing, the way they packaged it, versus Real American. On one point, I liked it because it descriptively said what they were going after. On the other hand, I think it was maybe a little too extreme. I mean, you don't want to say contract. You verbally package it to paperwork. You don't say sign here. You say endorse this. That's good verbal packaging. But if it gets on the radar or gets abused, used car, we couldn't say that anymore. Now it's pre-owned. Now, that's pushing it a little bit sometimes. Someone said pre-loved, which I think is probably not a good term. That's pushing it a little too much for a used car. So there's a fine line there between great verbal packaging and staying off their persuasion radar. So you decide. Coastal elites, Rio American, is that a blunder? Is that a ninja? Obviously, they're pitting two groups against each other. I'm assuming just based on this word choice that the radio people... Don't like coastal elites because that's very different than real American or rural America. So there is our blunder you decide. Let me know. Send me an email. Tell me if that's a blunder or a ninja. Let's get into our geeky research article. This is from University of Arizona and the first time on the show, landscape and urban planning. <laughs> They were doing some research into city parks, and they found that the easier and safer it is to get to a park, the more likely people are going to go visit the park. They decided they needed to put humans in the equation because, of course, humans were very emotional. Sometimes basic things could keep us from a park or keep us from doing anything. So a lot of architects have decided, put the grass in and see where people walk, then put in the sidewalks because if you put them where they think they should go, a lot of people won't walk on them. That's not where they should be. Same type of situation. So they call this walkability. You know, how easy it is safe to get someplace from your home to the green space to the park, whatever you want to call it. That is the biggest issue on how often people visit parks, more so than how close they are to their house. It was more of a perception of traffic safety, surveillance, guess if there's cameras in the park or on the way to the park, how well people inside nearby buildings can see pedestrians outside. That all corresponded with how many times people would go to the park. You were more likely to get there by walking or biking, probably why the safety is such an issue. So they decided it wasn't necessarily proximity. Since you could live in front of a huge park, but if there's a major freeway or obstacle or a dangerous intersection to get there, it's going to keep you from going to the park because it's not a simple thing. In your mind, it's more complex than it really needs to be. In fact, I was talking to a commercial real estate broker. They're trying to market this place for a supermarket, and a real estate developer said, "No, I can't. There's a bridge." I'm like, well, who can, what bridge? What? Yeah, if there's a bridge, fewer people will go. Like an obstacle. Even though it's not an obstacle, it's an obstacle in people's mind. It could be the hassle of parking, or waiting in line. Like ah, it's six o'clock. I want to go. There'll be a long wait. It keeps people from doing things: going to the park, shopping. So your persuasion message there is you've got to remove as many barriers as possible. Even if they're lame mental barriers, they're still barriers. That's why when you get to your close, your call to action, you want to make it as easy as possible. We know on the internet, for every field, for every click, for every web page you have to go to, it decreases compliance. Ever seen that Amazon one-click? Man, that'll scare you. You click one button, it is shipped, wrapped, sealed, done, billed. And in route, just by clicking one button, because they know the more buttons you click, it's going to decrease it. Because even though it's not that hard to click a button, it's just another barrier. You want to make it as easy as possible, as simple as possible. Because when things get complicated or confused, you've heard me say before that a confused mind says no. And the confused mind will never tell you that they're confused. They'll just say no. Here's an example. Walking into a gold's gym. I see the powder potion smoothie guy. smile. He didn't smile back. I said, what's up? He said some pleasantries. And I said, how's business? He says, not very good. I said, make me a smoothie and I'll give you a couple pointers to dramatically increase your sales. And he's all done. Made me the smoothie. And what were the issues here? Now, the first one we need to tackle is no smile. You got to smile at your customers. No one wants to talk to a mean negative person, especially at a gym. I said, you'll need some samples to prove your worth. Let people know that this is some of the best stuff in town. And I said, even more important, it's not easy. He's like, what do you mean? It just worked out. A smoothie sounds good. You walk towards it. Oh, my wallet's in the car. My purse is in the locker. That extra step, although not a big step, is just enough to not go back and get a smoothie, even though it's not that far to walk. And so we had them put people on account. They would pre-order on the way in. Be simple, just pick it up on the way out. You just bill them at the end of the month. And you've got to think about that with your process. How can you simplify it? How can you remove any of those barriers? Even though they're lame mental barriers, they're still perceived barriers in the mind of your prospect. And that brings us to our listener email. Oh, boy. This one's from Jake, Sacramento. Shout out to Sacramento. I've lived there before. Nice town. He says, thanks for the podcast. I'm learning a lot. I stumbled across Maximize Your Influence last year, and it's making a huge difference. Well, Jake, don't just stumble on it. Tell your family and friends about the power of influence. As Kurt, you mentioned in a previous podcast that up to 95% of persuasion and influence involves subconscious triggers. Can you go into a little more detail and give me some concrete examples? You bet, Jake. I think Dr. DiMaggio said it best. He says, we're not thinking creatures that feel. We're feeling creatures that think. And everything that goes through our brain goes through our amygdala, with taints it with feelings and emotions. And most people can't even tell the difference between an emotion and fact. It's all tainted. It's all integrained. Facts have feelings, too. And so what I'm saying is that every time you persuade someone, there's a feeling. I like them. I don't like them. I trust them. I don't trust them. I'm going to do business. I'm not going to do business. I mentioned 16th Street. You know, people approach you. Strangers approach you. You decide in seconds based on a feeling, based on a subconscious trigger, if you're going to talk to them. It could be how close they stand. Do they have facial hair? Are they wearing sunglasses? The smell. We know when people are near the smell of a Cinnabon store, they're more likely to donate to a charity. It could be a gesture, a word choice, tone of voice, how deep the voice is. All these things are immediately going through the brain and being processed to fight or flight. What's going to happen? The same is true when you persuade someone. If they do not like you, or the way you smell, or the way you keep in the room, or past history, all these things will trigger feelings or subconscious triggers. And numerous studies put it around 95%, but basically almost every persuasion involves some type of emotion. And part of that is we like shortcuts to our thinking. We don't have time to analyze every shampoo on the shelf based on price and ingredients, and what it has or does not have in it. We just have shortcuts like... The most expensive, the least expensive, the the one I've been buying, the one the hairdresser bought, the one that's at eye level, the smell. We have these little shortcuts that we create. So to take a deep dive, Joseph Ledoux, he's at New York University, talks quite a bit about the amygdala. And that's at the base of our brain. All our input goes through that amygdala, which allows emotions to dominate and control our thinking. The amygdala has control over the cortex in the brain. What does that mean? Well, the cortex is responsible for memory, perceptual awareness, thought, and consciousness. And the amygdala stores the memories we associate with emotional events. What happens are these subconscious triggers that are constantly occurring, triggering feelings and emotions without our awareness. And they can hijack our brain. That perfume and cologne, boom, reminds you of a past sweetheart. Music that increases your adrenaline level. Color that makes you calm. Trusting someone you met for the first time, you're not sure why. Some gestures that make you uneasy, tone of someone's voice, help or hurt, not connecting with someone because they're too similar to someone you don't like, can all be triggers. Let me give you an example. A few years ago, made the decision, I'm going to eat healthy, going to eat healthy. That meant no more fast foods. And I was doing really well. I was avoiding the fast food, but I was late for a meeting. to be a long meeting, really hungry, long meeting, late for the meeting. I'm like, ah, I'll go to Wendy's, right? It's a fast food restaurant. So it's pretty much around the world and I'll do a grilled chicken sandwich, lie in the mail. That'd be better than a burger. Instead of fries, a salad, instead of a Coke, maybe a Diet Coke. Hey, I can do this. I can do this. And so I pulled up the drive-thru window to get my healthy meal, and she says, may I take your order? And I said, I'll take a double Baconator with cheese, (laughs) large Coke, and a fry. I'm like, where did that come from? I was really planning on getting that grilled chicken sandwich. All of a sudden, I got a double cheeseburger. What happened? What hijacked my brain? What were the triggers? Well, maybe I saw a commercial the night before that was running in my subconscious mind. Maybe it was a deep habit and my brain just hijacked itself because it wanted that baconator. Maybe I saw a picture. Maybe it was the smell. Maybe I heard the person in front of me order it. Maybe they recommended it. Maybe I saw someone in the window eating it or all of the above. Those are subconscious triggers. We see them everywhere, but they're all below the radar. They need to be below the radar because when they're above the radar, just like I talked about verbal packaging earlier, then it's too obvious and you get resistance. Let me give you some more examples. Supermarkets, casinos, shopping, all subconscious triggers. I did a whole podcast on the subconscious triggers in Vegas, those casinos, the color of their carpet so you don't look down, the lights, the fresh air, the more oxygen, the no clocks. Those are all subconscious triggers. If you want to check out more about the casinos and those subconscious triggers, go to podcast 227, that's in the archives. Archives are for free at influenceuniversity.com and find out what's really going on in those casinos and why you're really losing a lot of money. So let's start talking about grocery stores, those subconscious triggers. What happens when you first walk in? They're baking bread or the rotisserie chicken or the deli area. It smells good, you start to salivate and you buy more. We've all been told by our moms, "Don't shop hungry." okay? When they pump in the bread smell? The bakery into the supermarket increases sales 300%. So there's the smell that you walk through. Even the music in supermarkets is slow. So you shop 18% longer. The longer they can keep you in there, the more you're going to buy. So if you're having a challenge, maybe you want to wear headphones and listen to faster music or a good podcast. Any of those can do help you walk a little faster. What I saw the other day is movement. Movement grabs our attention. We see this with Beggars on the street, but a coupon came shooting out of this machine right when I walked by. It had a motion detector on it. <laughs> it startled me, grabbed my attention. There's something about movement. We know that everyone fights over those end caps. We think things are cheaper there on the end caps. That's kind of the end of each aisle. There's something special there. We think it's on sale. It's usually not. In fact, companies fight and pay to promote products there because people notice those more. I did find out that people feel the vegetables are fresher when they get a little mist, right? They automatically come in. i see some supermarkets where there's actually thunder and lightning, and it sprays the vegetables to keep them fresh. Well, guess what I found out? It makes them rot faster, soaking in water, and it adds weight so you're paying more. Ouch. Another one, cart size. They doubled the size of their cart, and people bought 19% more. <laughs> Just something about size of the cart. And then the kind of the walking pattern. Produce is one of the first things. They say those bright colors put you in a better mood that help you buy more. Interesting. And then milk is in the back. Why? Because that's probably the most popular item, and you got to go through the whole store to get there. The more time you spend in the store, the more you buy Now, some store owners say, oh, no, it's just because when it gets off the truck, we have to get in the refrigerator right away, and that's where the refrigerator is, and that's the quickest and easiest. Well, maybe, maybe not. The whole mall scenario, if you ever studied Paco Underhill, he just studies malls and shopping and finds out that when people come in off the street and they come in the door of the mall for the first five seats, they don't really see or or notice anything because they're acclimating to the lighting of the store. Or when people were looking at, I believe it was ties, and they were got brushed on the rear end. Some were bumped. They would quit looking at what they were looking at. And Walmart used to do this, have someone right in the front say, hello, welcome to Walmart. You're like, I can't get any service in the whole store, and someone's saying hello? It reduces shoplifting. It's one of the reasons they do that. People slow down when they see reflective services or... Diagonals, we tend to slow down. You probably notice them all. A lot of diagonal walkways, and the walkway's really hard. Versus the carpet's a lot softer, so you stay on the carpet, not on the walkways. And get this, both for men and women, 60% of what we buy are impulse purchases at grocery stores. You said men tend to be a little bit worse, but they're still pretty close, especially when you see all those eye-catching displays or your children are wanting something or there's not very much in your cart, could all be a reason you're getting more than you need. And you know this would be true with clothing stores, that when they initiate contact, dramatic increase in sales. And one interesting study, I can't remember who did it, but it was at a fast food restaurant, when they asked if you could supersize it, well, that's obviously McDonald's, I'm not sure it was them, or would you like an apple pie with that, or would you like to upgrade it for an extra 50 cents? 47% 47% did. not that interesting? Just by asking. Negotiation rule number one. Just ask, just ask. And a lot of people will just say yes just by your asking. And the big one we all know to be true, wait time. was the number one factor in customer service. And when you look at retailers or shopping or anything, restaurants, sometimes the people aren't going to wait that long line. The perception of service plunges. That could be customer service or anything. So you got to be careful on wait times. you got to be careful of those lines. And again, to bring it all together, they make it as easy, as simple as possible. Understand those subconscious triggers. Because the laws of persuasion I talk about, the different tools I talk about, operate below our conscious thought. And when you use these properly, right, below the radar, your audience doesn't even realize you're using them. You're helping them persuade themselves. But if you blunder through your persuasion and it's obvious that you're choosing some verbal packaging, some words that shouldn't be there, and your audience is totally aware what you're doing, it's like seeing a police car on the side of the road. It jars you back to reality. You weren't even speeding. Oh, cop car. That's a trigger that could jar you back to reality. And these techniques, these tools, we use them below the radar. This is what makes you persuasive. And that's why this is so powerful. Because influence helps your relationships, improves your sales makes you a better leader, helps you sell yourself your ideas. It maximizes everything that you do. That's why I'm so passionate about it. We should have learned these skills in school. So Jake from Sacramento, I will send you your information on InfluenceUniversity.com. Congratulations on that. Thanks for writing in. Remember, that's K-U-R-T at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. If you're on Pinterest or Instagram, it's MaxInfluence. YouTube and iTunes and Spotify is MaximizeYourInfluence. Thanks for listening today as we talked about subconscious triggers and how we're just inundated with them all over the place. Remember, below the radar, because if not, it's obvious and it's what I call anti-suasion, which is the opposite of persuasion. So master your subconscious triggers. Know the good from the bad. Become more influential and go out and persuade with power.